I have several passages of Scripture that I want to use tonight as we think about the secret of power. The secret of power. May we bow together in prayer. Our Father, I feel like I stand on holy ground tonight. I feel like taking the shoes from off my feet. I stand in this place where these godly, precious people have sung the story of Jesus again. And the impact of God's people meeting together at this camp. The wonderful pastor and his spirit of love and humility and meekness and power. We pray tonight that the Holy Spirit would speak to every one of our hearts. That we would hear from heaven. That there would be a stirring among the mulberry trees. A stirring of God among us. And may we add to what we have what God wants to give us tonight. We pray that if there's one lost soul in this place tonight, never been saved, and you'll come to Jesus. And some who are right on the brink of offering themselves unconditionally to Christ would be able to do that tonight. That every believer here would be encouraged and strengthened. May thy Holy Spirit just fill us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In Psalm 62, 11, God has spoken once. Twice have I heard this, that power belongeth unto God. In Psalm 75, verse 6, His word says, For promotion cometh neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south. But God is the judge. He putteth down one, and setteth up another. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And in Romans 1, 16, Paul, that wonderful apostle, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Power is the word today. We hear of hydrogen power, atomic power, nuclear power, black power, white power, national power. There seems to be a power struggle among the nations. We hear about personality power. Our text says power belongs to God. I've heard this twice, that power belongs to God. Promotion comes neither from the east nor the west nor the south. But God is the judge. He puts up one, puts down another. Now what kind of power are we talking about? When Paul said, I am, not a, I am a debtor, both to the Jew and the Greek, he said, so as much as in me lies, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And you couple that with Psalm 62, 11. I've heard this, power belongs to God. What kind of power do we talk about? Well, the word itself in the Greek sounds like dynamite, dunamis. But that's not the meaning of it. 
The meaning of that word power is the same kind of power that is in a little seed. You place that seed in the ground and it dies and it germinates and the water comes and that little seed begins to grow and it blossoms into something tremendous. Now that's the kind of power we're talking about. We're not talking about some big splash. We're not talking about some kind of big muscular activity in which we can lift big weights. We're not even talking about something that can be exploded and blow a city off the map like a bomb, hydrogen or, or atomic. We're talking about the seedling power of God which lodged in a heart will begin to grow and glow and produce something that is unique. The power that can influence others for eternity. Now you think about that. Twice I heard this. Power belongs to God. No wonder Paul could say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation. To everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. This power is the dynamite of God. The dunamis of God. The seedling power of God. And it's the birthright of every Christian. Every individual has that right to that power. Paul said the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. To everyone that believeth, that is ignited by the fuse of faith. And every believer in this room, and every believer in America, has access to that same power. And if that's true, why is there so much weariness and weakness and staleness and discouragement and quiditis, lack of enthusiasm, hesitation, failure to move out. What's the problem? Somebody wrote a poem some years ago, a city full of churches, great preachers, lettered men, grand music, choirs and organs. If these all fail, what then? Good workers, eager, earnest, who labor hour by hour. But where, oh where, my brother? is God's almighty power. Refinement, education, they want the very best. Their plans and schemes are perfect. They give themselves no rest. They get the best of talent. They try their uttermost. But what they need, my brother, is God the Holy Ghost. We may spend time and money and preach from wisdom's lore, but education only will keep God's people poor. God wants not worldly wisdom. He seeks no smiles to win. But what is needed, brother, is that we deal with sin. It is the Holy Spirit that quickeneth the soul. God will not take man worship nor bow to man's control. No human innovation, no skill or worldly art can give a true repentance or break the sinner's heart. We may have human wisdom, grand singing, great success. There may be fine equipment, but these things do not bless. God wants a pure, clean vessel, anointed lips and true, a man filled with the Spirit, to speak his message through. Great God, revive us truly and keep us every day that men may all acknowledge we live just as we pray. The Lord's hand is not shortened. He still delights to bless if we depart from evil and all our sins confess. Why is it when the birthright of every believer is power 
That power belongs to God, Christ in you, the hope of glory. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It itself is the power of God unto salvation of everyone that believeth. Why is it there's so much weariness and weakness and staleness and discouragement? There's a threefold secret for power. Open your Bible to Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. There's a word in this passage. It's contained in the prayer we call the Lord's Prayer, really the model prayer. Jesus said in verse 10, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Would you read that verse with me? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. The will of God is always bigger than you bargained for. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 15, 16, and 17, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away in the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. The secret of the power of God, I think, is bound up in the things that I want to mention to you tonight. First of all, holy contrition. Holy contrition. That means a spirit of humility. Not faked, but real. Open your Bible to 2 Chronicles 7.14. 2 Chronicles 7.14. Solomon had just finished the temple. God's power was unveiled. The Shekinah glory of God filled the, filled the temple. There were great sacrifices that day. There was a 4,000-piece orchestra. There were hundreds of people that sang in that chorale that day. And there was great excitement. They met for more than a week in celebrating the dedication of the temple. And then God appeared to Solomon. He said, Solomon, it may not always be this way. The people may not always be that excited. But I'm the same. I remain the same. If there should come a time when the excitement wears down and the people's commitment is a little bit less and the people's joy is a little bit diminished, Solomon, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. The formula for spiritual power is holy contrition. The way up is the way down. Jesus taught us that we need to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God and at the right time He would exalt us. Now part of humility has to do with our dependence upon Him and our acknowledgement that He's everything and we're nothing. Whenever we assume that we're something that God can't get along without us, we're headed down a wrong road. The real authority of God and the power of God comes as we humble ourselves before the Lord. If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves, not to think of ourselves more highly than well to think. The precious young lady that gave us, the group that gave us that song a while ago, she quoted from Philippians chapter 2, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. 
who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven, things in earth, things under the earth, that every tongue should confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. What kind of mind? The mind of humility. God tabernacled in human flesh. And when he touched lame limbs and caused them to walk again and touched blind eyes and caused them to see again and interrupted funeral processions and raised dead people to life, somebody said, well, let me go tell everybody who you are. And Jesus said, don't tell anybody. Just see if they recognize it. I didn't come to brag on who I am, but who he is. And beloved, when we humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God and acknowledge that we're really nothing, that he is everything, then God's power can be unleashed inside of us. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, confessing our need, recognizing that we're nothing, that we have nothing without the power of God. We have nothing without the authority of God. We have nothing without the touch of God. Our personalities are nothing unless ignited by the power and the fire and the love of the Holy Spirit. A holy contrition, a holy humility that recognizes God as everything. There was a lady in London. She was the wife of a merchant man that went out on the seas. She didn't have very much money and her husband was gone most of the time, but she had a little boy she literally poured her life into. And day after day, she'd plead with God, Lord, use my boy. Use my boy. Lord, use my boy. I don't have much. She took in washing to make a living to keep things together. But over and over again, she'd say, Lord, use my boy. I pray for my boy. Oh, God, use my boy. Call him into your service. When that boy was seven years old, that godly woman died. Somehow he never got away from those early prayers of his mother. His daddy was out on the sea. And when he learned about the death of the mother, he sent for the boy and had him come to the ship. And that daddy began to use his son on the slave ships trading off of Africa. And they'd go into the interior of Africa and capture black people and bring them out to the ship. And then they'd pile them in that big ship like cattle in a car, in a, in a freight car. And they'd take them and sell them, selling human beings. And that boy grew up doing that. He became rough, restless, wicked, filled with sin, filled with himself, filled with the desire for a million dollars. But there were times when somehow there'd be a remembrance deep down in the subconscious of his soul that he could never get away from. Something about a sweet woman that used to pray for him. But then he'd put it aside and he'd go on in his wickedness. 
there came a day when that slave ship was in trouble. It was being tossed to and fro in the Atlantic. And the word came, the ship is going to take on water and it's going to sink. Down in the hold, this young man now in his 20s got along with God. He said, Lord, I don't really know how to pray. But I remember some things my mother used to teach me about prayer. And if you're real, I want to ask you to cleanse me and forgive me for all my wickedness. My mother used to pray that you'd use me. I haven't heard that prayer for years. But Lord, I give myself to you. And in a miraculous way, the waves began to calm down. And the storm passed by. And the ship made it back to England. John Newton got off that boat. He made a commitment to Jesus Christ. He's the man that later wrote, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. When we reach our extremity, when we reach the point of no return, and we turn to God, and we say, Lord, I need you. I am nothing. I have nothing. I will amount to nothing, but I yield to thee. And I want you to be control of my life. I want you to have charge of my life. I humble myself in your presence. Then God begins to take over. Most of you are familiar with the deep crisis that South Korea has had for many, many years. I had the privilege of preaching in South Korea. I had a wonderful interpreter, a great Christian, Bay Kuksan. He told me that every morning the church meets for prayer at 5 o'clock in the morning. Every morning. I said, now, Bay, do you mean every morning? Yes, every morning. You mean on Saturday and Sunday? No, I mean every morning. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I said, now, is this just during a revival? He said, no, we do it 365 days a year. I said, I want to go to that prayer meeting. He'd come by and get me. And we'd go across the city. And I'd go to the church. A little bit before five in the morning, and the place was jammed and packed with Korean Christians. They'd maybe sing one song, read a passage of Scripture. Nobody preached. They just prayed. And they prayed for an hour. I had the honor and privilege of praying with that dear people. And when I talked to some of them about, what is it that motivates you to keep this up? What is it that motivates you to do this? You see... When the Korean War ended in about 1951 or 52, 3, there were very few Christians. But that dynamic group of Christians began to pray because before the war, they were a growing group, but they weren't really growing like they wanted to. And when the North Koreans came in, the communists, they came in, the first people they killed were the Christians, the Christian preachers. They killed the leaders. And they began to pray, Lord, stem the tide, keep the hordes back, and let us have the liberty of winning our people to Jesus. And today, the Korean Christians number in a high percentage because of those prayer meetings. My dear friend, we have not tapped the resources of God until we pray. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, instead of turning away and running from God, seek my face, turn toward Him, turn toward Him. 
Then God says, I'll hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sin. I'll heal their land. I'll do it. And I want to say to you, there's no telling why God has not already brought judgment on America except there's a nucleus like the Chinese Bible Church who prays. There's a nucleus of Christians in Texas, in Kentucky, in New York, and all around who pray. But let's let our prayer go up toward the Lord and pray, Oh God, if it could be your will, give us a little time to win more of America to Christ, more of San Francisco to Christ. Oh God, give me the spiritual authority, the spiritual power, and I'm willing to recognize I'm nothing and you're everything. I want that holy con contrition, holy humility in my life that recognizes the power and authority of our Lord. Jesus said one time, this kind cometh not out but by prayer and fasting. Secondly, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. I want to submit to you the second secret of power is not only holy contrition, but holy conduct, holy living. Open your Bible to Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you that he will not hear. God hates sin. No matter who it's, where the sin is, sin in a nation, God hates it. Sin in a family, God hates it. Sin in a city, God hates it. Sin in a church, God hates it. Sin in a Christian, God hates it. Sin in an unsaved person, God hates it. God hates sin. And this book says, The Lord's hand is not shortened that he cannot save. Neither is ear heavy that he cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God. Now, all of us know that we'd be out of the will of God if we went out and got drunk. All of us know that we'd be out of the will of God if we went out and committed adultery. How many of us know that we're out of the will of God when we have jealousy in our heart? How many of us know we're out of the will of God if we have some grudge in our heart against another? We don't even show it. We have a, a smile in front, but we've held a grudge against another. How many of us realize that we're out of the will of God and we have sin in our lives when we allow some little secret petty thing to eat away and like a canker at our soul and robs us of spiritual power? Our Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. His ear is not heavy that he cannot hear, but our iniquities have separated between our, between our heart and God so that he can't hear us when we pray. Open your Bible to a little passage in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. And look at this. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The reason we've been saved is to radiate the glory of God. The reason you and I have been redeemed is not simply that we might have a fire insurance policy against hell. Thank God for that. No believer is going to hell. Jesus took the hell in his own body and he suffered for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. 
But the main reason Jesus saved us was not so we wouldn't go to hell, but so we could radiate the glory of God. So we could radiate the Shekinah glory of God. So we could be filled with His authority, His love, His power. And we could walk about the earth on display, putting on, uh, enabling God to put on display an individual who once was lost on his way to the abyss, on his way separated from God, away from the, the commonwealth of faith. And now he has been brought near to the, by the blood of the Lamb. And he's been redeemed and saved and changed. And his life is so so radically changed that he's radiating now the glory of God. And in 1 Peter, this says, You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. There was a great revival in Wales. In just a few days, revival fire swept across that whole nation. People heard about it. One man got on a train and went to Wales. He wanted to see where the revival was and experience it. He got off the, at the train station, walked up to an officer who was standing against the building. He said, Sir, could you tell me where the Wales revival is? And that man looked at him and he said, That Wales revival is right here. God has changed me. Now that's where revival starts. That's where spiritual power is. It is in you. Power belongs to God. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God under salvation to deliverance to everyone who will believe, to the Jew first and also the Greek. But it is involved, first of all, in holy contrition, a humility that says, Lord, everything is of thee. And secondly, a holy conduct. So there's, there come some off limits in our lives. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You want to know the will of God? Listen. When you give your heart to Jesus Christ, He comes in, and actually He exchanges your heart. He gives you a new heart. And He writes on it, not on tables of stone, but on the flesh of your heart, His covenant, sealed in the blood of Christ. He changes you. You're a new person in Christ. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things passed away, all things have become new. But now, Christ wants your body. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body. He doesn't want your old heart. He's already given you a new one. He wants your body on the altar. He wants your tongue. He wants your ears to listen to things that honor Him. He wants your hands to handle things that would honor Him. He wants your feet to take you places that would honor Him. He wants your personality to radiate the glory and power and majesty and might of God. And there's a threefold statement here as to how to find the will of God. I beseech you, brethren and brothers of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice. Number one, present your body. This is after you're saved. Present your body to Him. Say, Lord, you can use me. Here I am. I take hands off. I want you to use me. Secondly, be not conformed to this world. Now, the word conformed is a word that really means masquerade. 
It's like some people do at Halloween. They dress up, they put on uh, uh, other kind of clothes and make themselves look like somebody they're not. And this scripture says, if you're saved, quit masquerading like a worldling. Quit dressing up like somebody in the world. And he's not talking about physical clothes. He's talking about your spiritual personality. He's talking about your life, your mind, your, your, your manner, your, your, the things you do, the amusements you, you take part in, and those things you watch. Be not conformed to this world. Be not conformed to the standards of the world. You see, this world hates the Lord, hates God, no friend to grace. The whole Hollywood system, the whole television system, the whole world system today is at enmity with God. And you and I have Christ in our hearts. He says, you want to know the will of God? You want to know what God wants you to do? Present your body. Secondly, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may be prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. How do you get transformed? Well, this Bible is a transformer. You've heard in, in, in the technical terms about a transformer, how a transformer, what it does to electricity and so on. The Bible, the Word of God, is a transformer. And when you hide it in your heart, it changes things. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God, that I might be what God wants me to be. Holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty, early in the morning our song shall rise to Thee. But that's more than a song. God wants holiness from our lives. The secret of power, a holy conduct that says, Lord, here I am. I yield myself to Thee. I'm Yours. And then, last of all, a holy confidence and control. A holy confidence and control. When we have so yielded our lives to the Lord that we have a holy contrition in our life, which results in a holy conduct, then we're going to have a confidence not born of the flesh. Paul said, I have no confidence in the flesh. If anybody had a reason to have confidence, I have more because I was, and he gives all this string of credentials that he had because he was a Jew, Hebrew of the Hebrews and, and all that. But then he said, I have no confidence in the flesh. My confidence is in Christ. And Christ in me is the hope of glory. And then he went on to say, I want him to control my life. You remember before Saul, Paul was saved, Saul of Tarsus, he was an enemy of God. He thought he was doing God a favor. He went around trying to kill, kill the Christians. He stood out at, uh, on the street corner of Jerusalem one day. And he heard a young deacon named Stephen giving a testimony. And Stephen was magnifying the glory of Jesus. He talked about how Jesus was raised from the dead. And when he got to that point, all those Pharisees and Sadducees and the others standing around began to pick up stones and hurl stones at young Stephen. And they laid down their coats at the young man's feet whose name was Saul. And while Saul was standing there consenting to the death of Stephen, Stephen almost dying, looked up and he said, I see Jesus. I see Jesus. And he's standing at the right hand of God. 
They went on and killed Stephen. But the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. A few days later, Paul, Saul, went to Damascus to kill the Christians. On his way, he couldn't get away from those words of Stephen. I see Jesus. I see Jesus. And he's standing at the right hand of the Father. Saul tried to put it out of his mind, but he couldn't. Ten miles outside the ancient city of Damascus, he heard a voice, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Well, he said, who are you, sir? I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And Saul looked up and said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? <coughs> and in that moment of surrender, Saul of Tarsus yielded his life <coughs> to the will of God. Just that simple word, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And there came a confidence in Saul's life. The voice said, you go to Damascus and I'll show you what to do. He didn't argue with God. He went to Damascus. Across on the other side of town, he said, Ananias, I want you to go over and talk to Saul and tell him what work I have for him to do. And I want you to baptize him. Ananias said, well, now, Lord, I've heard that he's come here to kill all the Christians. That doesn't matter. Don't worry about that. You do what I tell you to do. And Ananias got up. He went over and found Saul. And he said, Brother Saul, receive thy sight. He took him and baptized him, washed his stripes and, and helped him and began to tell him what great things he must do for Jesus and how much things he must suffer for the name of Jesus. Saul gained confidence by allowing the Holy Spirit to control his life, by allowing Jesus to take control. The third secret for spiritual power is holy control. And there comes a confidence with that as we yield to his control. God said, Moses, I want you to go down to Egypt and lead my people into freedom. And Moses said, who am I that I should do a thing like that? And God said to me, you never who you are. Look at me. And then Moses said, well, who are you? And God began to tell him, I am what I am. And Moses said, but I'm not eloquent. I can't do it. And God said, all right, I'll send Aaron with you, but I want you to go. And finally Moses said, here am I, Lord, send me. Isaiah was in the temple the year Uzziah died. He saw the great glory of God. And he saw the winged creatures of God flying across the heavens, crying out, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And Isaiah cried out, I'm, I'm undone. I, I'm in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Mine eyes have seen the glory of God. I'll die. And then uh, a tongue from off the altar touched Isaiah's lips. And the voice said, you're cleansed. And then Isaiah heard a voice saying, who shall ascend? Who will go for me? And Isaiah looked up and he said, Lord, here am I. Can you use me? Here am I. Isaiah, cleansed, could be used by God. Holy control. And he went forward confident. You scarcely ever find Isaiah defeated after that. He went in the power of the Spirit of God. Now, I submit to you tonight, there's a lot of weariness in the Christian life. There's a lot of defeat in the Christian life. There's a lot of hesitance. Some have come right up and said, Lord, I want to do your will. I'm willing to do your will. 
but I'm afraid. I don't know what to do. And Jesus says, well, you let me take control and I'll do it through you. I'm not asking you to do it. I just want you to let me take control, live my life through you, and I'll do it. And I'll take care of it all. Do you really want God's spiritual power in your life? It will involve a holy control. A number of years ago in Bowling Green, I was coming out of the hospital. And as I walked toward my car, I was a little bit late for an appointment. I was in a hurry to get there. The Holy Spirit said, you ought to speak to this man that's sweeping the driveway. Well, I said, Lord, I'll talk to him another day. He's here often and I just really need to go. I have that appointment. I'm going to be late for it. You imagine telling God things like that he didn't know already. And the Lord said, uh, I went to my car, put my hand on the handle, started to unlock it. And God said, you go back and speak to that man. Well, I said, Lord, I really, he's there often, and I'll go back another time, maybe this afternoon. The Lord said, a third time, Richard, go back and speak to him. So I said, all right, Lord, I'll do it. And I'm ashamed that I argued with God. And I went back and struck up a little conversation with the man. I didn't really know him. And then I asked him if you're a Christian. Well, he said, yes, I am. I'm a Christian. I said, well, you know you're saved. Been born again. Yes, I'm saved. Been born again. Told me about his experience. I said, well, that's wonderful. I'm so glad. And I, God just told me to speak to you a moment. Let's have a word of prayer. And I just prayed with him and went on and got in my car. And I said, Lord, that's strange that you would tell me to do that. Well, that man was already a Christian. I didn't get any reply from the Lord then. I drove on across to my appointment, got there late, took care of the thing. And then that afternoon I was out visiting. And I drove down a certain street and the Lord said, you ought to go into that house and speak to that person about Jesus. Now, I'd never been in that house. I didn't even know who lived there. Didn't have any idea who lived there. But uh, I knew better than to disobey the Lord. I drove up in the driveway, got out, knocked on the door. A girl came to the door and said, uh, oh, you're a preacher, aren't you? I said, yes. We've been expecting you. I said, well, here I am. I didn't know who they were. I went in and she called her father from the other room and her father came in. He said, oh, you're a preacher. I said, yes, I am. He said, I need you. I prayed early this morning that God would send somebody to me today to help me, tell me how to get rid of my guilt and my shame. And I need you. Could you help me? We got down on a little hassock in his room. And in just a little while, that dear man opened his heart to Jesus, gave his heart to Christ. God changed him. I learned later he was one of the bankers in our city. And God radically changed him that day. When I finished, when we finished, I got up and I said, now my name is Richard Oldham. And he told me who he was. I said, how come you were looking for me? He said, well, I didn't know who you'd be, but I asked God to send somebody and I knew he'd do it. I knew he'd do it. Now, what am I telling you? If I had not obeyed the Holy Spirit that morning, I wouldn't have obeyed him in the afternoon. If I had not said, all right, Lord, I'll do what you ask me to do, the Lord wouldn't have trusted me in the afternoon to see that precious soul saved. We want the spiritual power of God. We have to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. A yieldedness that says, Lord, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Here it is. I give it to thee. Now it begins 
by repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're here and you've never been saved, you've never given your heart to Christ, do it tonight. Ask Jesus to come into your heart. If you're already saved, have you sensed a need for spiritual power? Have you sort of felt that power drifting away and you didn't have the authority with God that you wanted to have? And you somehow didn't have the fullness of the Spirit of God in your life. You know you're saved, but somehow there's, there's just not that spiritual liberty and freedom that you want. You could ask God for it. And if you're willing to pay the price, He'll give it to you because He wants to give it to you. Holy contrition, a humility that confesses a need. A holy conduct that says, Lord, I take hands off my life. I give to Thee my life and my habits and everything and a holy control by which and through which there will come a holy confidence. May we pray.